0: Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 130. Today's guest is one of the really talented young pitchers in today's game. A guy who started training with us at our Florida facility this past offseason. I've gotten to know, super insightful, very pensive in his responses, and I think he has a really calculated way about how he goes about his business. So um, somebody I've learned from already, and I think someone who has a lot to teach to our coaches and players and parents that are listening to this. So I'm excited for this one. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest is a left-handed pitcher who was born and raised in Illinois and selected by the Atlanta Braves in the 32nd round of the 2017 MLB draft out of high school. He opted not to sign and instead attended the University of Louisville. He played in the Cape Cod Baseball League after his freshman year at Louisville and was named their Friday night starter going into his sophomore year. He finished the season with a 2.78 ERA and 167 strikeouts in 113 innings. Along the way, he tied the school record for wins in a season as he went 13-4. He was named ACC Pitcher of the Year and a first-team All-American. Following that season, he pitched for the U.S. Collegiate National Team. His junior year, he went 4-0 with a 1.23 ERA and 48 strikeouts in 22 innings before he, the season was cut short due to the pandemic. The Los Angeles Angels selected him 10th overall in the 2020 Major League Baseball draft and he spent the 2020 season at their alternate site. He began the 2021 season in Double A and then played in the All-Star Futures game before being promoted to A, where he made only one start before the Angels called him to the big leagues on August 1st, 2021, hearing his first career win on August 15th, 2021. This year, he made his opening day roster for the Angels. On May tenth of twenty twenty two, he pitched the twelfth no hitter in Angels history, recording two strikeouts and one walk against the Tampa Bay Rays in his eleventh career major league start. At the time of this recording, he has one hundred two career innings pitched over twenty one starts. Please welcome to the show, Reed Detmers. Reed, welcome to the show. This is long overdue.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on here.
0: I feel like uh, the the obvious progression would have been to have you on right after your no hitter, but pretty much everybody on the planet wanted to talk to you for a few weeks after that, so give you your space, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I'm just hanging out. We're in Kansas City right now, um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy year so far.
0: It's a good year, though. Um, oh yeah, but we're we're going to backtrack a bunch. Um, so this is. This is a baseball development podcast, right? And, and everybody always wants to talk about the sexy stuff of like being in the big leagues and how you attack hitters and all that stuff. But I actually probably find a lot more value, at least for our audience, is talking about how guys got there, like what they did with their process. And I know you're a guy that had like a very stepwise progression. It's evidence not just from like working with you and seeing about how you go about your business, but also even some of like the quotes that I, I dug up from you, like as you're going through the draft process and, and talking about like, how you sequenced your development really, really well. It was, it was actually really cool. And we'll touch about your dad influence, but I'm curious, like talk to me about your high school years. Um, Like how did the whole like recruiting process unfold? Were you a multi-sport athlete? Like what did your high school development look like from a baseball and big picture standpoint?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to play baseball. Um, I kind of just put my mind to it at at an early age. Uh, My dad played. And so, yeah, so baseball was always the sport I wanna, wanted to play professionally. Um, but, yeah, I mean, freshman year of high school, I wasn't anything special. Um, it was um, nothing really freshman year. Sophomore year, it picked up a little bit, uh, but not, still nothing crazy. It was just small schools around in the area. Um, still no offers, um, and I was just playing for, like, a summer team, like a local summer team. And they would reach out to teams and see if they were interested. Um, and then finally, the summer after my sophomore year, things um, started to pick up. Um, and kind of just like I had a couple good outings. And there's a couple schools there, like the University of Illinois um, and some other smaller D1 schools. Um, and it kind of just took off from there. And then the University of Louisville got in, and then I went to like the I can't hear, the PBR Future Games, or yeah. I think it's called, yeah. um, and it just exploded from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I had schools calling me from all over the place, and then that's when the professional um, the scouts started to I started to get looked at by scouts, and it just kind of took off from there. Yeah.
0: What was it that, that put you on the radar? You mentioned like summer after sophomore year. Like was it – I mean, I know you got like a banger curveball that you've thrown now. You didn't really have that then, right? That was something you guys added much later, isn't it?
1: Um, so I've always – I've actually always had a, a good curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, that's – I don't know. It just kind of came natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I started throwing it my freshman year of high school.
0: Okay. So it was about that time.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, things took off after, after the Futures games. Um, mm-hmm. I was – I think at the time I was like sitting eighty eight to ninety, um, okay. and I had a good outing and yeah things just went crazy. Did the
0: uh, did the velo jump a lot like sophomore to or sorry freshman to sophomore year? Um, like, uh, did you find the weight room? What what do you think it was that was such a change from? Was it just being seen? What what was the difference?
1: I think it was just being seen. Uh, I think my freshman year, I think I topped out like eighty six maybe eighty seven. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was nice velo jump. Um, but, like, I, I never worked out. Um, I came from a small town. I didn't know how to work out. There was nobody to teach me how to work out. And we don't, honestly, we didn't even have a weight room. And so, like, I was just kind of running and doing my own thing, just conditioning. That's all I really knew how to do. Uh, and, yeah, just kind of playing long toss, keeping the arm in shape, keeping the body in shape. But I'd never lifted until my senior year of high school.
0: That's wild. And were you, were you a multi-sport guy? Did you do stuff besides baseball or what what other sports you play?
1: I played basketball.
0: There you go. So you're athletic. That's the most important part of it. Um, So I'm curious, you know, you multi-times here, you mentioned we, um, and and you once told me your dad was your biggest influence and you just, you know, you kind of hinted at it there. Like what were the things that he did? You know, he played professionally. How did he mentor you? both then and you know into college and and even now like how has that relationship changed how has it it shaped who you are today
1: yeah so it's I mean it's been awesome um he's he's been there every step of the way and I mean everything that I know it's it's come from him so I don't know at an early age it kind of just stuck in my brain like it's you versus the hitter and it's a one-on-one match and Nobody, like, I don't know, like, the only thing you can control is what you do. Like, mm-hmm. like the pitches you make, um, after that, you can't control, control anything. Um, and so that kind of stuck in my head and he's always been big on like body language. Mm-hmm. Like you should like the other team shouldn't be able to see like if you're pitching well or, or if you're pitching bad. And so that's kind of something I always stuck to, um. I know in college they always used to give me, give me crap for not showing any emotion. Um, <laughs> so they, they never see me smile. They said, "But I don't know. That's just how I was raised. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of a thick, thick skin. Uh, don't let anything bother you, kind of type of thing."
0: I think it's you know where I I noticed it the most is obviously you're, you're super level headed. Uh, you know you're a guy that doesn't give away throws. Like just watching you and Packy play catch on a regular basis in the off season, it's there's attention to detail like every throw matters um, you know presumably because you, you don't get emotional you don't get caught up in what's going on around yeah. you but was that something your dad you know really actively hammered home when you were 12 13 is that you're always working on something when you threw
1: yeah I mean so growing up we always pl- played like different games like hit the chest it's one point hit the mm-hmm. face it's two points and stuff like that so like, I grew up playing those games and he like every every throw you take, there has to be some kind of intent behind it. Um, It's always meaningful. And I don't know, he always just kind of drilled in my head, like if you're throwing the ball and there's no meaning behind it, like you're not going to get good results and you're not going to, you're going to create bad habits. So like every time I touch the ball, like I'm thinking about like what I need to do, how to get better at it and like what's the most efficient way to get throw strikes and get outs.
0: I love that. Um, you know, one that I hadn't really written down in like one of my questions, but it's actually like intriguing to me now is you mentioned being a basketball guy and you're also an Illinois guy, which means that you dealt with the dynamic of terrible weather and trying to get ready for basically, you know, presumably like throwing baseballs in March in 40 degree weather. So the first part of that is how did you manage like the the uh, preparation throwing program during basketball season. So you weren't just showing up on what the first week of March with your, like being completely uh, out of your skis with respect to volume.
1: Yeah. So basketball practice would be right after school. It'd be two, two and a half hours long, um, depending on the day. Um, And then after practice, I would wait in the gym and my dad, he he used to coach a little bit. So he would come in every once in a while. And uh, we would, after practice, we'd just go back into the gym and start playing catch. Um, the gym wasn't very big, so we'd have to go diagonal, yeah. um, corner to corner. And, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 120 feet is probably all you
0: got. Um, yeah. Did you do the simulated into the net? We used that a lot in the cold so weather So we didn't,
1: we didn't even have a net. There was, <laughs> it was just a gym. Um, yeah. And so we just played catch diagonally. And then throw it up against the wall if you want, like, throw as hard as you can. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of whatever you can make out of it. And then, it I tastes. mean, once it's over 40 degrees, like, you go outside, uh, you yeah. just got kind of wear it. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of throwing in a gym. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that was pretty much it.
0: There's a lot of seasoning that takes place pitching in Illinois, the Northeast, you know, anywhere during that time of year. Like, did you ever at Louisville experience anything from a, from an environmental standpoint that was as bad as you, you dealt with in high school in Illinois? I know it's a little bit further South, but. Um,
1: so Louisville was still pretty cold. Yeah. Um, we would practice on days that. Um, it's probably around 25, 30 degrees. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And for some, like, it always worked out that, like, the days we had practice, like, were the coldest days, <laughs> the longest practices. Like, we had everything going that day. <laughs> and So, there's, there was quite a bit of snow when I was there. Um, and so, we would always have to go out, go out there before practice and get all the snow off the field so like, it could melt. Because we had turf, so, move it around a little bit, let it warm up, and then it would melt. So, couple hours before practice we'd have to go out there and move it around and so we can go out there and practice and those those are probably the worst memories i (laughs) have from there so Uh,
0: i I remember that stuff well i grew up in maine so the the first couple weeks of i was a tennis player so we were shoveling courts a lot Um, but
1: the first couple like the first like four weeks five weeks of the seasons it's not above 40 degrees and it's it's miserable
0: what about like Louisville? I mean obviously that they they've had a great um record of player development and kicking out some hard throwers and some guys who have had success in, in professional baseball. What were the biggest adjustments that that you made at Louisville both maybe as a as an overall athlete and as, you know, as a pitcher as well to to take you to being a first round pick a few years later?
1: Yeah, so my freshman year I struggled. Um I couldn't tell you what it was from. Uh, I don't know if it was being away from home, just not facing competition like that before. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took a while for me to adjust. Um, and I think I started out the season in the bullpen um, and struggled out of the bullpen. Um, um, just getting hit a ton of walks. And then I finally sat down with uh, my pitching coach. And I was like, hey, coach, like, something's got to change. Something's not right. Like this is not me. Like, I know this is not me. Like, I don't know how to fix it, but like, I'm hoping, you know, some drills or something that we can do. And so that was like the halfway turning point. Um, that was like halfway through the season. And that's when things started to turn around. Um, I got moved to the midweek, uh, starter and things started to take off a little bit. I had a couple good starts, but it still wasn't easy. Um, I, um, But, yeah, we did. We would do drills, just me and the pitching coach for, like, an hour, hour and a half, like, during practice or after practice. Um, And then just gaining the confidence back was the main thing, just believing in yourself, knowing that you can do this. Um, And then I went off to summer ball, um, had a little bit of success uh, in the Cape and Brewster. Mm -hmm. And then once I got back to campus my sophomore years. That's when things took off. That's when I felt the best. That's when I was like, all right, like my confidence is here. This is, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to attack guys. And that's what I did. And yeah, I was after my, or during my sophomore year, that was, that was the best year I've ever had.
0: I went back and looked at it 35 walks in 55 innings as a freshman 33 walks with 113 innings and 166 strikeouts as a sophomore so pretty pronounced difference you know yeah. going from, from starting And even like the the change was very apparent when you switch from the pen to actually starting in 18 so it's interesting how some guys just thrive in in certain roles maybe it's a you know function of like just you know you being meticulous in your preparation having a little bit more control over the process as a starter but right. I'm, always, I'm always fascinated by that um and so you went off and you know you did the cape after freshman year the uh you know uh, team usa after sophomore year and obviously in junior it was like a, a shortened COVID year but yeah. um after that COVID um draft you went to the alternate site and minor league baseball wasn't really a thing but um what was interesting is you were well-known as, like, one of the, the, I'd say, one of the more big league-ready prospects in that draft. It was interesting is you used the alternate site in 2020 when baseball wasn't really happening, and you developed a a really good slider. And I've heard it referred to as a knuckle slider as well. Talk to me about, like, the rationale for why you developed it and then maybe what the key competencies for you were, knowing that you already had a a really good curveball that, you know, it was there to pair with.
1: Yeah, so in college, all I threw was fastball curveball. Um, that's all I had. Um, and then once I got drafted, I was like, all right, like I know I have to develop more pitches. I need to develop a change up, develop a slider um, just to give hitters a different look. Um, because I know the hitters were going to be a lot better than what I was facing in college. Um, but yeah, like I've, I was never, never able to throw a slider the, like the traditional way. It was always like a slurve or something. It's like always been really slow. Mm-hmm. And so I was with a buddy of mine, Chris Rodriguez. Um, I think it was an off day in the alt site and we we're at the hotel and we had to play catch. So we just went out to the parking lot and started playing catch. And we we're just like messing around with certain like slider grips just to see if we can find one. Cause he had a really good slider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't throw his slider, and he was like, "Hey, just like mess around with this grip." And it was like the uh, knuckle slider. Mm-hmm. I was like, "All right," and I held it. I was like, "Well, this kind of feels weird. Like it feels like a curveball, but like I'll give it a shot." And I just kind of held it like a knuckle curveball, um, and threw it like a fastball, mm-hmm. and it it was nasty. And I <laughs> I don't know how I did it, and I just kind of stuck with it. And so, like that's that's my pitch now. That's my go-to pitch. That's my out pitch. Um, and yeah, it's become one of my best pitches.
0: I remember uh, Luke Jackson telling me something very similar about how he developed his. Um, but it's it's intriguing. Is that you now is that totally different than your curveball grip as well?
1: Yeah, yeah my curveball grip <laughs> is just the traditional grip.
0: I mean, that's like the lesson there is always be curious. You know, it's it's you never know what you're going to find just talking to teammates and being around the game. Uh, Um, So talking about like the the different mindsets between that slider and curveball, like, are you actively thinking about getting to the front of the baseball when you throw a curveball, whereas the slider is like, trust this new grip and just rip it.
1: So with my curveball, I'm thinking fastball the whole way. And then at the last second, I'm thinking about cutting it off and taking my hand to my belt. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of cut across like that. And just getting on top of the ball and making it have that end over end rotation, because um, I know once I get like kind of a little bit, little bit of side spin, it's not going to have the same effect um, for me at least. And then for my slider, I just, I just think fastball. Um, I've tried thinking about like getting around it and like kind of manipulating it and it just doesn't work for me. So like my cue is just throw it like a fastball and trust it. Um and yeah, so like that's all I really think about that. And I mean it's done this job so far.
0: Yeah, it's working. Um, you know, on the topic of, of the fastball, um, what I'm intrigued about is like when you actually like hear people talk about this in the game, you know, whether it's scouting reports or writers or anything like that, you know, you hear about like that it's elite command. I've also heard it's like elite ride as, as a four seam. I've heard some people say that it's elite deception. Um, you know, I'm curious, like what you feel like, you know, makes your fastball, you know, like play up more than, you know, what you would expect of a pitch that, you know, was like 92, four, um, to to 93 was the average.
1: I don't know. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I honestly have no clue. I don't know how it came about that. Like I have good ride, good spin. Um, I know when I was younger, going back to like my dad playing coach with him, and like he always said, throw the ball on the line and Mm -hmm. have as much backspin as possible and try keeping it as straight as possible, uh, Mm -hmm. while playing long toss at least. And so that kind of just stuck in my head. So every time I played long toss, I tried backspin and it just to like get the carry. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it might have came from that. Um, But like, I haven't done any drills or anything to create that. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of how my body moves, I guess.
0: Works. And then maybe talk change up briefly, just because you are a guy that didn't throw a lot in the past. And, you know, probably around the same time you developed the slider, it looks like the changeup came not long after. And, yeah. you know, it's like 13% of your pitches now. So it's a, it's a big deal. And um, in the no hitter, I, I was actually surprised to read. That was like a career high in change ups. You did 24 in that no hitter. So, you know, what, what was the struggle in developing that for so long was it just that you didn't need it to, to carve up high school hitters. And then you realized you did needed it. Yeah, so
1: I was like in high school, I didn't need it. Um, mm-hmm. College, I didn't really need it, but it's always been a pitch that I've struggled throwing. Like I've tried throwing it in high school and college, and it, it just it never felt good. Um, I always like spiked it or sailed it to the backstop. It, it just never felt good coming out of the hand. So like I, I kind of just said like I'm done with it. Like I'm I'm just gonna go as far as I can with the fastball, curveball, and then, like, if I have to pick it up later, then I'll pick it up. And so, yeah, once I got to pro ball, um, I picked that back up. Um, and it was, it was still a struggle. It took a long time for me to figure it out. Um, it took probably a full season, full season and a half, um, or the 2020 season, and then, like, a little bit of half of last year in 2021. Um, but something kind of just clicked when I was throwing it one day, I was playing catch with it and it kind of just clicked and I took it to the mound. Um, and it, I don't know, it just, I, I, I gained the trust in it um, and I kind of knew where it was going uh, for the most part, which I've never felt before. And so like I gained the trust and yeah, it was one of my best pitches um, during my no hitter. Um, and I don't throw it as much as I probably should. Um, but I, throw it like maybe 10 times a game maybe less than that but like i there's certain counts where i have to use it and that's it's been there
0: Mm -hmm. i think there is like kind of an interesting and this is purely anecdotal observations you see certain guys who are very good into what we would call like radial deviation with the wrist like it's you know it's this way those are guys that you know they're able to get to the front of the baseball really, really well they tend to be naturally oriented towards like curveball sliders cutters um and, and change-ups are often kind of like a, you know, it's just an awkward feel. Like Kluber's obviously a great example, and he's developed the changeup late in his career, but it was always a struggle. And then we see other guys that drift the opposite way. Everything is very, like, owner deviation. It's, it's very hard for them to, like, get to the front of the baseball and need to think about, like, pre-setting it in the glove and all that. So I think there probably is, like, a, a little bit of, like, a wrist discussion that probably goes with it and, you know, familiarity what's comfortable. But, you know, ultimately it always comes back to, like, finding something that's a like, comfortable like feel that you can actually be confident with, right? Yeah, that makes um, sense, yeah. on the no hitter, we have to talk about it, and and you, I'm sure you've answered like a million questions on it. But um, one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about it, um, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way in any way, because it's 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 actually I think cool in the context of how today's game is going. Is you only had two strikeouts, and it was some record. I think it was the fewest strikeouts in a no hitter ever. Is that what the line was? Oh,
1: it's something like that. It was to,
0: it was something to that effect. Um, I guess my first question is like, were you aware of that while you were going through the outing? Like, I mean, first off, you—how long was it before you appreciated that you're actually in the middle of a no-hitter? Um, I started to notice it in probably
1: like the fifth, um, mm-hmm. because leading up to that game, like, it's been a struggle. Um, <laughs> if I got through four innings, like it was a good game, mm-hmm. and especially without any hits, like I'm taking that every day. Yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, so like I started to notice it around the fifth, um, and like I knew I had good stuff. Like everything was working. Um, they were swinging at the pitches I wanted to, wanted them to swing at. Um, but I don't know. I kind I always lose track how many strikeouts I get in a game. But like I knew I didn't have a lot. Um, and I I can't remember. I the first my first strikeout I think was early in the game, um, and then like the second one came. I can't remember when. It was later, I think. But, yeah, I remember looking up, because in Anaheim we have, in right in right field, we have, like, a K wall. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember looking up, and I said one strike. And I was like, oh, boy, come on. <laughs> like, you got to have at least three. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, like, they just kept making early contact. I think I had, like, 65 pitches through, like, seven innings or something like that. And, yeah, I never – I wish I could have got more strikeouts, but at the same time, it was a blessing because I wouldn't have made it through nine innings.
0: Yeah. You're, I mean, it's the secret is don't pitch to the stat line. Yeah. Um, pitch to what the hitters are telling you. And what was interesting about that game was it was a brand-new catcher, right? I think I read that you would only yeah. – you throw like a bullpen to him in spring training, and that was it, right?
1: Yeah, Chad Wallach.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, the first time I've ever played catch with him um, or anything was during spring training. It was just a bullpen, um, like a 15-pitch bullpen, maybe the first or second day. Um, and yeah, he, uh, I mean, obviously we've known each other for a little bit. Um, he's been in our organization for probably a little over a year now, but, uh, yeah, he showed up to the field, um, that day and was like, Hey, what do you want to do? So like, we had like a little conversation, scouting reports, like, all right, we'll stick to the game plan. If we need to get off of it, we'll get off of it. I was like, all right. And kind of just went about our business. Um, and then, Yeah
0: and and there's no hitter (laughs) yeah and the uh well the fascinating part about it was you threw 108 pitches and 24 of them were change-ups it's like what was it that that led I mean was it just that good that night or was it that it was getting some of that like weak contact that was setting you up for yeah so
1: so at the time um I was struggling throwing throwing a slider which is usually my out pitch um I was having a hard time figuring out the pitch um and so I was really only pitching with fastball, changeup, curveball. Um, and my like curveball is not really an out pitch. It's an early, early steal strike pitch. Um, so it's pretty much fastball changeup. And I was getting a lot of swings and misses with the fastball um, or the changeup early on in the game. I was like, all right, we got something working here. Like, this is good. Like, we can play the fastball off this. We can throw the slider and, and like, throw the flip in the curveball early in the count. And so we kind of just stuck to that, um, and they kept rolling over on the changeups all night. Um, so we just kept throwing them, like throw them, roll over, throw them, roll over, like like this can't be any better, like this is perfect. And then like we'd mix in a fastball, they'd foul it off or pop it up. I'm like, sick, like I'll take this all day. And so that's kind of really how it came about. Like my curveballs is an early, early pitch, um, slider wasn't really working, so it's like all fastball changeups.
0: It's wild. You basically had the best outing of your life with with yeah. pitches you, you very rarely throw. Yeah, <laughs> hey, that's that's best baseball, right? It's adjustment. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so I'm I am curious. So you, you were a seven day rotation in college. Um, I think one of the things that gets talked about a lot in baseball is the big adjustment, like draft picks go through, whether it's high school or college of trying to go from a seven day rotation to a five day rotation. I know the angels have used the six day, um, you know, with you guys in the big leagues this year. Have you thrown on a five day? Has it been exclusively six since you were drafted? What what have you adjusted to? I
1: mean, I've thrown out maybe once or twice um, Mm -hmm. last year in the minor leagues. Um, Just kind of how the rotation went. Like they, you don't want to, they didn't want you to pitch every day on the same, every, every week on the same day. So you'd have to switch it up a little bit. Um, so you'd move, bounce up a day and make it a five day. Um, but other than that, no, I've never pitched on a five day. It's always been, um, seven.
0: And what is it, what is it like a six day look like for you? Like how, how do you map out both your throwing and then, and also your training that goes alongside it? Yeah. So, um,
1: I always throw bullpens on day three and day five. Uh-huh. Um,
0: so that day five, is it just like a field of slope, like move yeah, it a little it's bit? just a feel yeah.
1: slope, 10 pitches, yeah. um, just yeah. a couple of fastballs, a couple of off-speeds just to get the feel of things.
0: Uh-huh. Um, and then there's um, catch play slash long toss. Makes yeah. sense
1: so like I'll, I do really light the day after 90 feet. I stretch it out to 120 and then long toss and then back to 120. Mm-hmm. And then probably about So that's going into my second bullpen that week. I'll probably stretch it out back to like 150 again, Mm -hmm. and then it's back to 90 feet, and then I'm thrown in a game.
0: There you go. So it happens pretty quickly. Um, So what about the actual like lifting side of things? Do you try to consolidate it into your, um, you know, basically like the same days that you throw your pens, or or what, what do you do from that standpoint?
1: Yeah, so I always get a conditioning day in, a lower body, upper body, and total body. Um, just cause we have so long in between yeah. starts. Like I don't want to not be doing something. So the day after I'll just do like a conditioning day. Um, then I'll get treatment get worked on, get flushed yeah. out stuff like that. Um, and day two, I'll do a lower body day with some conditioning also. Um, mm-hmm. day three is the bullpen. And then after my bullpen, I do an upper body, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, like change of direction conditioning.
0: Yeah. Um, Try to be athletic a little bit every day. You yeah. say conditioning, it's more sprint, agility. It's more yeah. sprint
1: work. Um, yeah. And I, I really like the bike. Um, yeah. Do like, I can't even, 30, 30 seconds at, as fast as you can go. Yeah. Uh, or at, at the high, mm-hmm. h- highway, like gear 22. Mm-hmm. And then like a, 90 seconds mm-hmm. as, like on 10, as fast as you can go. Mm-hmm. Um, do that like 10 times so
0: 20 minutes you have more wig room to do that on a six day five day it's kind of like a race to bounce back and then and as you get later in that obviously you lift um on days two and day three you do an upper body and then what day four and five obviously are you know you got to lock it in you do the upper body lift or excuse me the total body lift on that day five the day before you start or when do you do that one
1: i do the total body lift two days before my start so the, the day before I start I take an off day I just yeah. stretch get, stay yeah. loose um, but yeah the total body is the two days before and it's nothing crazy
0: um, yeah, it's, just move it's just
1: move the body make the body feel good bunch of band work
0: um, okay. just kind of like agility stuff My mobility circuit almost like yeah. just feel athletic I got you That's it. I mean it's important you're staying, you're staying active and you're also having some highs and lows mixed in there which I think is the key yeah um, so I'm, I'm curious, this is actually my my last one I'm going to throw at you before we do our like, lightning round, but I looked back and there was a quote from you that said, I like to say I'm a pitcher. I like to locate my pitches. I would much rather go out there and locate all my pitches for strikes and keep hitters off balance rather than going out there and trying to throw as hard as I can, overthrowing and not being as successful throwing strikes. Like that was you, I think, going into the draft or around that time. I mean, it's a super mature quote to like know who you are as a pitcher. One of the things I'm curious about is how much – have folks tried to steer you away from that, right? We have an era that's very obsessed with velocity and, you know, guys like learning pitches on Twitter and throwing them in major league games the next day. And you, you seem to have a very good awareness of like who you are and, and how to pivot when, you know, a slider isn't working in a no hitter or something like that. Has it been a constant struggle to, to kind of just stay true to who you are?
1: Um, yes and no. Um, Obviously in today's day of baseball, like everybody wants to throw hard. Yeah. Um, and that's what everybody's goal is to try to throw as hard as they can, and they're going to try to do everything possible to throw as hard as they can, which is good. Like I, that's a good thing. Um, but for me, I always believed that belo would come at uh, the stronger I got, and kind of like the more mature I got. So I wasn't always like obviously I want to throw hard, but like I wasn't out there in the weight room trying to do stuff to try to throw hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always, cause I was brought up by my dad to always throw strikes. Um, like you aren't going to get outs if you don't throw strikes. And so that kind of always stuck with me. And I was like, okay, like if I command and throw strikes and I can command 92, 93, and then maybe later in my career, I have a velo jump and I, but I still have the command. That's a, like I have two of the best things possible. Like I have below, and I have command. Like you can't get much better than that. And so that's kind of what I always believed. And yeah, I mean, I like I'd rather throw strikes, get outs than throwing a hundred and not having a clue where it's going.
0: I respect that. It's a very different world these days than than when you came up. Um, so, and credit to your dad and you know and to other coaches you've had along the way to to, to steer you in those directions. Um, all right. So we always do a lightning round at the end of each um, podcast. These are quick quick hitters. Who do you like to watch in today's game and why? Clayton
1: Kershaw. Um, I've always been a fan of this. Um, just how he attacks guys. Obviously, he's one of the guys that. Um, he used to throw hard. He had he had the command um, and now he doesn't throw as hard and he still has the command and he's still having the success he had when he's younger. So, I mean, I think it's just impressive how he can adjust um, year to year um, yeah. and make and still improve. Like he's he's still getting better. Um, yeah. So I, I've always thought that's amazing and always watched him.
0: And a wonderful dude, great ambassador for the game. He he like yeah. checks all the boxes. Yeah. Um, all right, favorite teammate of all time and why?
1: Oof, that's a hard one. Um, you,
0: you can you can pick a couple if you want to. There's no there's no pressure right. to narrow down to one.
1: Um, I'll probably have to go with one of my one of my buddies from college, uh, Michael Kirian. Um, he was my roommate in college, and then. Uh, yeah, we always just clicked, and then I gotta I gotta give Packy a shout out, uh, <laughs> Packy and Chris Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, so Chris Rodriguez, uh, he's in our, uh, he's with us, and we just he was like the first person to come up to me um, once I got drafted. And I didn't know anybody going to the all side, and he was the first person uh, to come up to me, and we kind of stuck together ever since. And uh, obviously, Packy. Um, yeah, we kind of got got there at the same time. He got traded from the Reds like a month after I got there, and so we were always kind of like together. Like we, because we didn't know anybody, we're like, all right, we're like sticking together. To me and you, like we're gonna figure this out. And so, like ever since then, we've been
0: we've been boys. I love it. Um, and he gave you a shout out in his podcast too. So you guys are, you guys are on the same wavelength. Um, advice for a teenage Reed Detmers, if you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself at age 15 or 16?
1: Be yourself. Um, don't try doing anything that you know you're not capable of. Um, don't try impressing people just because you want to impress them. Like Be yourself, be true to yourself and know who
0: you are. I like that. And then last one, uh, what's n- the next step for you, um, in your development? Like, what do you think you need to do to go to an even you know, higher level?
1: Yeah. Um, for me right now, it's just getting outs, um, getting quick outs, I would say, um, I, 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 I would like getting outs is good, but like, I want to get deeper into games. I want to go six, seven plus every game. So for me to get quick outs and keep the pitch limit down, um, that'd be huge.
0: I think that's, that's a noble goal. Like right now with, you know, the kind of the shortening of the typical starting pitching outing and fewer and fewer guys coming, you know, anywhere close to 200 innings each year, I think. I remember Kurt Schilling told me that like a long, long time ago. He said, "Like, no matter what anyone tells you, the the, the number that matters the most is innings because it's yeah. indicative that you you did your job on the front end and you were. I mean, let's be real. Generally speaking, the best pitchers on a staff are going to be the starters. That's the way it's right. prioritized. Um, hey, man, this is awesome. Um, you uh, you got good stuff on uh, on social media. It's Reed Detmer's on um on instagram and it's r detmers on twitter i uh, pretty active up there and, and always sharing some good stuff um can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking the time man hopefully, yeah, hopefully thanks for having me that was awesome pass the time a little bit in kansas city on a, oh, on yeah. a quiet morning um and we yeah, appreciate you fun. look forward to seeing you again soon man keep up the good work thank
1: you i appreciate it